The answer to why minorities have generally voted for the Democratic Party hyper consistently, especially African-Americans, is very simple. I mean, we've been told over and over that the Republicans are racist slave owners. And I mean, you have quite prominent candidates like Mr. Biden openly saying, well, if you elect a very mainstream Republican, he'll put you back in chains. Many people believe this. Is wokeness a predominantly white phenomenon? My guest today claims that the data says yes. In this episode, we break down a series of surprising opinion polls that show just how popular or unpopular progressive initiatives are among minority voters. Today, we talk to Wilfred Riley. Wilfred is an author and assistant professor of political science at Kentucky State. Wilfred, thanks so much for joining me. Great to be here. So very recently, you did a video for PragerU where you talked about how wokeness is a predominantly white phenomenon. That might be surprising for some people. What evidence do you have to support that claim? Well, there's, I mean, there's a pretty considerable amount. Um, I think the, the most obvious evidence is that when you do sort of broad scale national polling, like Pew, for example, there's very specifically one category of people that tends to support, for example, politically correct restrictions on speech, uh, restrictions on policing, a lot of the other things that are associated with the quote-unquote woke movement, and that happens to be upper-middle-class white liberal women. Um, when you actually run a lot of these questions by ordinary taxpayers in the black and Hispanic communities, uh, and of course working-class white communities as well, but I don't think that would surprise anyone, but especially married people, blacks and Latinos, you tend to find total rejection of a lot of these ideas. I mean, there was recently some pretty good, we call it large-end polling work, that looked at uh, whether people want more or fewer police in their communities. And I mean, the results are very similar across most ethnic groups, but 81% of blacks said very confidently that they, that we, I was in this group, want as many or more uh, law enforcement officers, Leos in the community um, than are there at present. You get very similar things when you ask about PC, quote unquote, or speech regulation. I may not remember all of these numbers off of the head, but as I recall, it's 75 percent of blacks, 81 uh, percent of Asians, 79 percent of Hispanics and something like 78 percent of whites think that political correctness or cancel culture is a threat. That's something that they might worry about at work. So you really see these very consistent patterns across American countrymen and women. And then you see that outlier block of essentially college educated Caucasians, especially women. So that, that's what I meant by the whiteness of wokeness. There's nothing inherently wrong with being on the political left or voting for the Democrats. But I, I think many ordinary brothers, quote unquote, would be very surprised to see where, for example, a donation to Black Lives Matter actually goes. Well, that actually gets to part of my next question, because the voting record overwhelmingly shows that minorities tend to favor Democrats. So there's kind of a disconnect there. Why do you think that is? Why do you think the voting doesn't necessarily match this polling? Well, I think it's an interesting question. First, I think you're seeing that start to change. I mean, first with the bombastic Trump, who was surprisingly popular, believe it or not, in ethnic communities, and then with candidates like Ron DeSantis and the backlash to lockdowns, the backlash to quote unquote woke education. I mean, right now, a uh, neutral GOP ticket in the presidential is polling at something like 42% among Hispanics. Uh, more than 20% among blacks. I mean, the whole idea that demography equals destiny, which you've seen on both left and hyper hard right for decades, 
I mean, that that's being empirically falsified when you look at how Cuban Americans or Asian Americans vote when they're they're two what they see as mainstream uh, choices in the race. So I think that even in the case of blacks and certainly in the case of minorities, I'm not sure how true that that pattern is going to be going forward. But I mean, the answer to why minorities have generally voted for the Democratic Party hyper consistently, especially African-Americans, is very simple. I mean, we've been told over and over that the Republicans are racist slave owners. And I think a lot of people believe this. Uh, on the one hand, there's there's substantial sort of legacy respect from the Kennedy and Johnson administrations. On the other hand, I mean, you have quite prominent candidates like Mr. Biden openly saying, well, if you elect a very mainstream Republican, he will, what was the quote, he'll put you back in chains. So it, it's hard to overcome that. This is Mitt Romney of all the milk toast business people. But I mean, many, many people believe this, I think, at some level. Now, you mentioned a couple of statistics, the 42 percent of Hispanics that would favor a GOP generic candidate, uh, over 20 percent of black Americans would as well. What's the trajectory there? What were those numbers previously? So how much have those numbers changed in recent years? Oh, they were they were quite low. I mean, uh, the during the Barack Obama era, you would regularly see I might be off by a point or two, but only eight or nine percent of blacks vote Republican. All of this is an extremely recent shift that uh, some on the right would attribute to essentially dishonesty on the left, that some on the left would attribute to the GOP Southern strategy. But Republicans were a very, or uh, African-Americans were a pretty consistent Republican voting bloc for most of history. I mean, the, the Republican Party, without going into all of the, you know, the back and forth partisan banter, but was established in large part to counter the Klan. So, I mean, this is something that we, we've only seen since the 1950s, maybe 1960s. And it does seem to be reversing after that peak under Mr. Obama. But I mean, for a period there, I mean, you're talking about 8% black vote, 20% Hispanic vote for a good many GOP candidates. Now, you also mentioned another interesting statistic about uh, people who favor that PC culture or the censorship of speech. And you mentioned that the only group that on balance favors it, something like 51%, is uh, white, college-educated, liberal women. So why do you think this ideology is particularly attractive or resonant with that group? That's a really fascinating question. Um, I'm not white, liberal, or a woman, although I suppose I'm college-educated. So I mean, I, I really... I don't know what lies in, you know, the innermost heart of a political rival or something like that. But I would say one thing that comes to mind is that that is the group that is most likely to be hyper educated in the fields that emphasize this stuff. So, I mean, obviously, wealthy people are far more likely to go on for a university education. Um, women are actually a bit more likely than men now who have uh, perhaps in more cases the option of the trades or policing fire or something like that whites a bit more likely than non-Asian minorities. So, I mean, and again, men tend to, when we do go into academia, cluster in the STEM disciplines, that kind of thing, business. Um, so, I mean, I think the people that are, if you look at a gender studies class, I mean, I think it's Will Chamberlain that came up with the acronym AWFUL. Obviously, he's on the right side of the aisle, but a fluent white female liberal. I mean, that that's what you're going to find. And I think as a final comment here, that's why you see such an emphasis on race and bisexuality and so on with this one group. Everyone in that gender studies class is going to be in either the upper middle or the lower upper class. So the distinguishers, you can't really use class, for example. And there, so there's a lot of focus on these tiny distinctions among the sort of petite bourgeois.
I mean, it probably is true that if you're a white Harvard woman, your black Harvard sorority sister experiences a small amount of racism. And of course, that's bad. But the reality is that both of you go to Harvard. So, I mean, compared to virtually anyone else in society, you're extraordinarily privileged. But that, that's not necessarily what you see in the classroom. And I think the people in those particular classrooms most often probably do fall in the AWFL demographic. So I, that would be my guess. In March, we saw a lot of headlines about the launch of Americano. So that was the first Spanish-language conservative radio network. And you mentioned there's also some data showing that Latinos are drifting right politically. Do you have predictions about Latinos as a voting bloc going forward and or ex you can extrapolate on to like black Americans, Asian Americans? What are your predictions? My prediction as a political scientist is kind of the cliche in the field, which is that Latinos are going to follow the Italian American trajectory. One of the things I will say that both left and hard right got wrong is the idea that immigrants today are somehow exotically different from immigrants in the past. Whenever I look at current demographic trends, one thing as a black man that I keep an eye on is what the black population percentage is. And obviously, like African-Americans, nothing against white Americans, but it's one of those things that I'm kind of curious about because you often hear, the, is America darkening, this, this sort of language. The black population percentage has been pretty stable between 12 and 14% in the modern era. Uh, and black immigrants, Nigerians and so on, tend to be among some of the higher performing Americans. The two largest demographic groups that we're seeing increase through immigration are Caucasian Hispanics and East Asian Americans, who are the highest performing Americans, frankly. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised that if in two or three generations, Hispanics of primarily Spanish heritage, not that race matters much to most people these days, were just seen as... Americans. This would be true for, obviously, Hispanic Americans of native heritage as well. So I, I think that you're going to see that sort of assimilation with the current immigrant cadre that we saw from previous immigrant cadres. I would assume that the, in fact, I know this, uh, the descriptions of Sicilian peasants or quote-unquote barefooted Irishmen, which is the Caucasian part of my own ancestry, or, you know, black Caribbeans with the long dreadlocks, I would assume that the, the same narrative of will they assimilate uh, was repeated many times. And as long as we stick to our national ideals and remain proud of being Americans, then I think that the average American, the average immigrant, these successful tradesmen and so on from Mexico south of the border will, will follow that trajectory. And as you make money, you become more Republican. So part of the reason some Americans support censorship or PC culture is that they're concerned about hate speech. Obviously, this is like a big topic right now. Um, and potentially that that speech would lead to hate crimes. You've done some research on hate crimes. How would you respond to that concern? Uh, I think there's no evidence of any kind that slightly tightened or lessened restrictions on speech have any effect on patterns of crime whatsoever. I mean, you saw some slight increases during the recent era of political conflict. I mean, where people were fighting in the streets along partisan and racial lines. It's not especially surprising. But in general, um, you have about 7,000 hate crimes a year. And I would suspect that the predictors of hate crime are similar to the predictors of most other crime, economic turmoil, uh, ethnic conflict in the country, so on. Uh, the idea that letting people, I mean, this is an argument you could make about virtually anything, right? I mean, this, this was the old Tipper Gore complaint against hip hop and heavy metal. If you let people listen to these sociopathic rock stars, um, they, they're going to go out and commit crimes. Um, 
It's an argument made against violent video games. I think that there's virtually no evidence. Chris Ferguson, a buddy and colleague of mine, has actually written the book on the uh, impact of gaming. And there seems to be none. The effect seems to be equivalent to going to the dojo. You feel angry, you have a sparring session, and then you don't feel angry. Um, similarly, I don't think people talking on Reddit or 4chan is going to have much effect on crime whatsoever. They're also, this is something that came up during COVID when the conversation became, wouldn't masking the entire country potentially save, you know, X number of lives, a few hundred? The response is perhaps, but you'd have to mask the entire country to do that. That the the evil seems to significantly outweigh the good in, in moralistic terms. Uh, and the same here. I mean, I don't think that there's much correlation between loosened regulations on speech and crime, but it's still more important to have free speech than to prevent all imaginable crimes, especially given that tiny number of hate crimes, 7,000 a year, few of them murders. So I, I think that would be the response there. The other comment, just very briefly, as we see the government set up whatever Orwellian thing it's called, the Ministry of Disinformation or some such, I mean, I'm, I'm very curious who decides what hate speech is. You know, I'm a Catholic, albeit a lapsed one. If someone tells me there is no God and everything I believe is an illusion and folly, have they committed an act of hate against me? Um, I mean, I hear quite a few things about lawyers. One of the demographic groups I belong to is, is this hate. Um, I, I think we do have a definition now of speech that actually is barred by law, a direct incitement to commit a violent act or a criminal act. And I, I think that's where this should stop. No, I don't think letting people talk more freely will lead to epidemic violence. Now, you did cite some uh, a number, you said 7,000 hate crimes per year. My understanding from reading headlines was that hate crimes had increased and especially had increased during the Obama years. Is that incorrect? What are the numbers there? That, that is correct. And I, I, I like the way you phrase that because we saw a slight upward trajectory in hate crime in recent years. And that sometimes build, if you want to be a bit dishonest in the media, as hate crime surged by 800 under Mr. Trump or something like that. The reality is that many trends based on, for example, simple population increase are toward the upward in social science. So, yeah, we saw some increases under uh, Barack Obama. The the reality there, though, is that any increase would be something from something like 5,983, which I believe is an actual figure about a decade back to 7,000 uh, or a bit more. You also have to look at the reporting practices of police departments. Um, one of the few positive things about the era of recent intense scrutiny on police is that police began to produce better data to defend themselves, to keep better track of what they were doing to keep the reports as they should have been kept, to wear body cameras, this sort of thing. So, I mean, putting this very simply, in one year, I believe between 2016 and 2017, although it might be off on the years, there was an increase of a thousand in the number of hate crimes. And there was also a proportional increase in the number of police departments that reported hate crimes to the FBI. So, I mean, if each of those departments reported something like 80% of one hate crime, that would have explained the entire increase. So there are also methodological questions. I, I haven't yet written this paper, but someone should, about whether we've seen an increase at all. Uh, the more departments we have reporting, the more hate crimes you would expect to see. So I guess this is a little off topic, but I am curious because you're, you've looked into this. How do those numbers break down in terms of which racial groups are targeted and are there differences in how they uh, decide whether it's a hate crime for different racial groups or do they hold a, a firm standard for all? 
The second question is fascinating. I'd like to research that, and I suspect we both have an opinion. The first question kind of gets into some of the third rails of American politics and media. Crime in America doesn't look as it is generally described. Um, I, I, I don't think that most people would be very surprised to learn that urban African Americans or poor whites in the South or something like that have a high crime rate, and this is the case. But that's not what we see in the media, where there's a lot of focus on hate, white supremacy, so on down the line. The reality is that even in the tiny subcategory of hate crimes, um, African-Americans are overrepresented. Uh, we, in the most recent year, not, not me personally, of course, which is one of the problems with group labeling. But I mean, African-Americans committed 23 percent of the hate crimes are on record. Again, black people make up 12, 13 percent of the population. Um, Hispanics were represented about proportionately. Uh, whites were targeted in a decent number of cases. So everyone committed hate crimes. Uh, hate crimes were fairly distributed across the ethnic spectrum with minorities, if anything, committing a disproportionate number of them. The groups targeted, uh, the most targeted group is always Jews. I mean, if you look at a per capita, any per capita based adjusted statistic, one to 2000 crimes a year against Jews, Jews make up two percent of the population so the the focus is not Klansmen attacking blacks i mean you can have hate crimes against gay individuals and so on down the line is a case likely to be nationally reported as a hate crime you can't help but imagine that race and other currently trendy variables if you will would play a role there i mean i i have researched media coverage of this kind of thing and i mean if you look at um, police shooting. So, for example, in police shooting cases, 70 percent of the victims are white or Hispanic Caucasians. Um, about 80 percent of the coverage seems to focus on the black minority of cases, which is 20 to 25 percent. So politics probably does play a role in, in these matters. All right. Well, we're just about out of time. But where can people find you to follow your work and learn more about this? I'm, I'm pretty easy to find online. Uh, if you Google Wilfred Riley, R-E-I-L-L-Y, you'll find, I mean, my website, part of the university package there. But I mean, my Facebook, my Twitter, both my books are still at close to bestseller status without false modesty. So look me up and I'll, I'll talk with you online. All right. Well, Wilfred, thanks so much for coming on. Hey, th thanks for having me. All right, folks, that's the end of today's Office Hours. Until next week, I'm Georgia Howe, and thanks for tuning in.